0: Well, I want to go back a little bit and give people a refresher as to the uh, technology itself. What did the pilot look like? Because it went for a year.
1: So the pilot was, uh, as you say, a year. The first two months were consumed with training. Every one of the officers received 30 hours of training uh, in the class uh, to put their hands on the equipment, to learn about the law, to learn about uh, the application of the law. And then we went live for 10 months on the road. um, And uh, we tested two different uh, cameras, and every one of the officers that was on the road tried their hand at each of the cameras. So, um, but just to clarify, this next phase is, is not uh, because we've made a decision, this next phase is in fact research on what the current state of technology uh, has out there for us, mm-hmm. uh, because the state of technology at the time of our pilot uh, didn't seem to live up to the standards of what we, uh, what we expected, so.
0: Yeah, m- maybe we should go through some of the unexpected issues you actually uh, discovered during the pilot project.
1: Well, the major issue was the battery life. Um, when we ran the project, we uh, the cameras were always on, however, not always activated. So not always recording, but always uh, sort of on in the backdrop. And that was uh, for the purpose of a pre-record buffer. So that uh, if we did activate the camera, that it captured 30 seconds prior to when that activation switch was actually flipped. Uh, which is, as you well know, having a cellular phone uh, causes your battery to die quicker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we experienced that. So. Batteries that ought to have lasted 10 hours were lasting us three and four hours. Um, theoretically, uh, you know, the, the theory is if you just change them up and go to the police station and change, get a new battery. Uh, but the logistics of doing that uh, with frontline policing is next to impossible, certainly in the city of Toronto, where our officers are going from call to call.
0: Sure. I don't want to find out that I've called 911 and I'm waiting for some guy to head back or, or uh, officer to head back and get a new battery.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Uh, we do, though, believe that the technology today is much more robust than it was uh, we started our research in February of 2014. So we're three and three and a half years past that. And, you know, for anybody who wants the best TV, you'll know that you'll never have the best because the next model is always better. So
0: there was um, also some question of storage for uh, the uh, data.
1: Well, certainly uh, storage is impacted by a couple of things. First of all, uh, retention and our retention cycles that are governed by both the law and by the City of Toronto. Um, so that compounds the, uh, the volume of storage. Uh, but the cost of storage, when we uh, did our evaluation and finalized our evaluation, the cost of storage was very high. Uh, we do know that uh, today the cost of storage is substantially less. So that's part of, the, part of the research that we'd like to pursue is to see what storage methodology or mechanism is the uh, best and soundest for us to uh, use.
0: Right, I mean, it, when you say the cost of storage was high, I know it was uh, we were hearing numbers like eighty five million over ten years to implement, operate, and maintain those cameras, and a lot of that budget, how much would would have been allotted for uh, storage?
1: Well, the storage and infrastructure alone would have consumed eighty five million. Wow, uh, it would have been an additional seventy to eighty million for mm-hmm. the administrative costs. Um so we do know though that, as I said, the cost of uh, of that storage is uh, dramatically reduced now because of the the mechanisms used for storage. And you know a year a year and a half from now when we're we're ready to make a decision, uh, that storage will again be substantially uh, less expensive than it is today so
0: so how do you navigate with that in mind? well we ha it that's the difficult part part about it because
1: you know if you uh, if you do find uh, an appropriate vendor, you have to be mindful of the fact that uh, perhaps the cost of storage should be going down in the contract and not up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have to be alive to that. And we have to have that, that robust conversation and dialogue with the vendor to say, you know, we realize that uh, the technology, the cost of building these um, machines is going to be less. The cost of storing the data will be less. So so we have to use a, sort of a business sense when we look at that and uh, and make sure that we make the right decision.
0: Uh, so where are you at right now? Right now you're you're t- testing the technology. Have you uh, do you have a bunch of different technologies that you're testing against each other? How are you testing those technologies?
1: So today we announced to the world that we're going ahead with a, a I'll say a three part process. It includes today a four part process. Um, part of that, uh, the first part of that, will be a request for information where we're we're going to ask every vendor from around the world to come and show us their wares and tell us about the future state of the industry. Uh, then we'll go to what's called an RFQ, uh, which is a request for pre-qualifications, uh, where we'll have an opportunity to, you know, really uh, get down to the, the nuts and bolts of the, uh, the technology and uh, sort of kick the, kick the tires, if you will. And then we'll issue a request for proposal to only the vendors, and it'll probably only be a handful uh, that we believe that can, could really fulfill what it is that we need. And then after that, we'll, uh, after that process or during that process, not only will we test, but we'll uh, investigate, uh, you know, using the lens from our pilot uh, to be able to, you know, appreciate what the battery has to go through in order to last or not to last, uh, what the storage does, how do we upload, how do we download, how do we use that for court and and properly apply it to a a judicial proceedings. And uh, and then if we do find that right solution, we do find that right uh, storage and all of the other things that we need. Then we'll go to the chief and recommend uh, that whether or not uh, we go forward or not. And uh, so that's mm. probably 20 months from now, though.
0: Whether or not you go forward with the whole idea of police officers wearing body-worn camera, or is that a done deal?
1: No, it's absolutely not a done okay. deal. Okay. And um, and that's where some of the misconception is. Right. We, we went to our police services board in September and October of last year, and we asked them to set aside some money from capital budgets so that we could research the industry. So we could uh, uh, inform not only the chief, but the police services board, as the fact that whether we did or didn't find a technology. And we have to be mindful of the fact that body-worn technology is one of those unique animals that if it fails and something bad happens, we will be more highly criticized for that than we would have for not uh, deploying cameras in the first place. So it has to, this t- technology has to be sound and, uh, and has to do all the things that we require in frontline policing.
0: How big of a a question mark or um, piece of importance is put on the security of the data?
1: Oh, very much so. Uh, I mean, you know, we hold private information of people, and we have to be able to, uh, to assure them and assure the courts and assure, you know, the likes of the Privacy Commission and the Human Rights Commission that that data is secure. So everything is tracked through the metadata, and we're able to articulate, you know, who uploaded the video, who recorded the video, who accessed the video or looked at the video, who redacted a video, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's very important for us to be able to articulate all of those steps uh, for any purpose, whether it's an internal investigation or a or a jury trial at a court of law. So,
0: and how long you can keep that?
1: Well, exactly. And so, you know, for criminal matters, we'll keep uh, data for eleven years. But mm-hmm. if it's a homicide or a sexual assault, we'll keep that data forever. And uh, so we have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, whatever that looks like, we'll have to have the capacity to do that.
0: So, has, has anyone ever questioned, you know, uh, people's right to privacy if they're caught on a police officer's body-worn camera and they're just in the background?
1: Uh, well, there's an argument for, for that in private space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're diligent about it. If we capture somebody who is a third party not involved, as we say, in the backdrop in a private setting, then certainly we want to make sure that their privacy is protected. Uh, your your expectation of privacy in a public setting is uh, far dis- far diminished and uh, and we sought the the uh, advice of uh, legal counsel from the ministry of the attorney general as well as the opinion of uh, you know the privacy commission and uh, and those people that really are in the know before we uh, formulated any of our policies in our pilot project
0: well inspector I appreciate you joining us today and uh, clarifying exactly what's going on over the uh, next year and hopefully we'll talk to you in twelve months and find out where you're at
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Have a great
0: day. Cheers. That's Inspector Michael Barsky, the lead on the body-worn camera project for the Toronto Police. Not a done deal. Did you catch that? Not a done deal, despite the fact. I believe it's 85% of the officers said that it's a good idea. 95% of the public say it's a good idea.